0: So it's Exodus 12, verses 1 to 13 and 24 to 28. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbour shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the, whole of the sem- when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight." Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall see, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did.
1: If you can catch sight of that reading, you'll find that helpful to follow along. You'll notice on there I've divided the chapter so, that we're, we're not trying to tackle all of it um, this morning. I've had to make editorial choices there. We'll focus especially on that idea of the Passover. In chapter 11 last week, the thing that we saw was that we were beginning the march towards freedom for Israel. And the Passover that we'll think about especially this morning is one of the most significant events in all of scripture, let alone the book of Exodus. So much so, one writer, Michael Morales, in his book Exodus Old and New says, one cannot grasp the meaning of Israel's Exodus out of Egypt without understanding the Passover ritual. The Passover is the Exodus. And the idea of this Passover is very simple, and that's the theme this morning, it's that God alone saves. And through this chapter, as we see this theme, I want to pick out three things here that we see about the Passover. Firstly, in verses 1 to 6, that there's a substitute arranged. Secondly, there's a penalty paid in verses 7 to 13. And then thirdly, a tradition is made in verses 24 to 28. Firstly, a substitute is arranged. I don't know about you, but life can be very busy, can't it? And so online grocery shopping promises to be something that will save you. And yet the substitutes sometimes kill you, don't they? Uh, I found online this week some of the very worst examples of that. Uh, One customer provided a bag of onions instead of a bottle of wine. Someone given strong mints instead of beef mints. And someone given a bar of dairy milk chocolate, not salad. Although that one sounds pretty good, doesn't it, to be fair? I'm not sure I would complain. Here, a substitute is arranged. The lamb's life for your life. This is a different kind of a plague, isn't it? I wonder if you notice that as you scan over those verses. This is a different plague because Israel are not shielded from this but they're rescued at the end. And that's a different pattern, isn't it? This month, verse 2, Moses and Aaron are told, shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. For Israel to this point, as for most peoples, the calendar ran from harvest to harvest. That was the most significant sort of part of the year because whether that harvest went well or not really determined how well you were doing as a people there together. But now the calendar is to change in line with this event. This event here of the Passover is an event so monumental, it will change the way they mark the year. Tell all the congregation of Israel Verse 3 says that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. One of the things we see here is that healthy community is built in shared patterns of worship. Much of the world thinks and speaks about community, community being a good thing, community being a thing they want to build. But true, healthy community is built in shared patterns of worship together. That's why at times we talk about living out gospel rhythms of gathering and growing together. Because we are family, because we are disciples, we are learners. Healthy communities built in shared patterns of worship. But I wonder if you also notice there in verse 3, it tells every man To go and to find a lamb for their family. Because here, husbands, fathers, have a role leading their family in worship, taking responsibility for their home, that they go and they make sure that arrangements are made for themselves. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you should make count for the lamb. And they're to work together, aren't they? Because supportive community comes from two things. It comes from offering what you can and asking for what you need. And here they're working together. If your home actually, you know, is too small to get a lamb just for you guys, then speak to your neighbors, work with them, do it together. But this is a communal meal. This isn't just to be at separately in front of the TV on the sofa. This is a meal to be gathered around the table together where community is built. And then we get instructions about this lamb, don't we? Look at verse 5 there. Your lamb should be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. It's to be fully grown, and when it says sort of without blemish and stuff as well, the idea is get the best that you can afford. Whether it's a lamb or whether it's a goat, get the best one you can afford to get. And there's a really significant idea about worshipping God in general, not just here, and that's that it's not giving what you want, Imagine I get Karis' a surprise gift, which on occasions I do. Imagine, though, it's quite expensive, and I go to some trouble to sort of find it and secure it, and maybe I start to make a bit of a big deal about it, you know, and I sort of build this thing up and up. You know, it's going to be really good, and here it is. There's a big sort of unveiling. And now imagine the gift is a very expensive guitar. And if you know me at all, you'll know that's just simply something I want the gift has lost any value that it could have had because it's clearly just what I wanted to get. And if she reacts badly, she's not ungrateful, it's that I'm stupid for giving her something that I wanted. And you see, our worship isn't to be what we want to give or what we're prepared to give, but what God asks. Now today, we don't offer sacrifices, do we, mercifully. We give, though, all of who we are to the God who has made us who we are. Romans 12, Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship isn't just about singing. It's not just about money. It's not just about those things. It's also about time. It's about talents. It's about serving God. We don't give what we want. We give what God asks. And then they're to put this lamb to death. The threat of this plague is death. And the rescue comes in that the lamb will die so that you don't. A substitute is arranged. The lamb's life for your life. But next we see there's a penalty that needs paying. I wonder if you've ever received a parking ticket. And the worst case of receiving this is when you're in the middle of an emergency. It's just the last thing you sort of need, isn't it, in that moment. I came across an old story this week of a mum who had stayed over at the hospital. Her child was, was in there having an operation and things. And came back to her car in the morning seeing a parking fine. And it's just the last thing you need in that moment, isn't it? But she came to a fine, but also a note on her windshield. It's a bit small up there, but someone had very kindly seen this and said, pay it, then forget it happened, and given her the money. And here, there's a penalty that's due, but there's a penalty that's paid by someone else. There's a penalty paid for the people. Look at verse 7 there with me. You would. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And here the people are forced to make their faith public, aren't they? Go and paint the doorposts of your house that everyone who passes by will see you are trusting in God's word. And then we get those instructions from verse 8 to 11 about how to cook it, how to eat it, what you're to wear even. That they're eating in a hurry. Some of the items are reflecting the hardships of Egypt, the bitter herbs. And they're all going to serve as memory aids in the future. But we also see they're not to eat apart that there's nowhere else to be, there's nowhere else more important on this evening to be than eating this meal together. We don't get all the explanation for all of this here, we do later on and later on in the Bible. But there's always reason for God's commands. But he doesn't always reveal that to you now. You often have to learn it in time. Because you see, the idea of faith where you know everything simply isn't faith, is it? But here's the most important part, verse 11 of that little section. It is the Lord's Passover. You are to eat what he says, how he says, because it's his meal. And then there's two purposes in verse 12 and 13. Two purposes in what God is doing here. Firstly, there's judgment. And secondly, there's rescue. There's judgment in verse 12, isn't there? For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I'll execute judgments. I am the Lord. There's judgment over the people of Egypt, firstly. And secondly, judgment over the gods of Egypt. There's judgment over the people, isn't there? For the suffering that they had caused Israel, God's people, through slavery. But there's also judgment over the gods. Because those gods of Egypt need to be seen as powerless, As having stoked the anger of the one true God. That God isn't, as we've thought about before, he isn't a God amongst gods. He is the only God and he won't accept being viewed as anything else. It's judgment over the people of Egypt and the gods of Egypt. But then there's a rescue. Look at verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And the blood is a sign, isn't it? That's the language there, isn't it? It's a sign to those inside the house that this house will be rescued from death by God. It's a sign to those outside the house that this house is trusting in God alone to save us. And it's also a sign to God, isn't it? That this house has trusted in God's promised rescue and has done as they're told. They're not trusting in the magic quality of this lamb's blood. What they're trusting in is God's place as judge to accept that. For them the idea is propitiation that's a long word, that's a fancy word let me try to explain it in more everyday terms when I fail to correctly sort the cutlery in the dishwasher again as I'm prone to do and I've angered Karis because I've done that again and I've been told I've been reminded but I've forgotten again I need to do something to remove the anger and restore the relationship, don't I? And maybe what I might do is I might do some hoovering, I might unblock a toilet. That one gets quite a lot of credits because that's not the nicest of jobs. But I have to do something, don't I, to sort of make up for the job that I botched. That's propitiation. The removal of anger to restore a relationship. And here, a penalty is paid for the people. And God graciously considers the lamb's blood being spilt as enough so that yours doesn't have to be. And so finally, we see that God wants his people to remember this idea. And so a tradition is made. We have some slightly weird traditions, don't we, across the world? Uh, Think about bonfire night. We let off fireworks to remember a failed assassination attempt on a king by a terrorist. In Gloucester, in Cooper's Hill, every year they gather to roll a four kilogram wheel of cheese down a 200 yard hill and they chase after it. In Maristica, Italy, they host a human chess match. And maybe my favorite in Vrontardus, Greece, two churches who sort of face opposite each other fire rockets in order to try and hit each other's bell towers. We have some weird traditions, but here a tradition is made. God's people through the generations will remember God's saving grace in this meal. Look at verse 24, and we'll skip some of those details about unleavened bread and everything else just for the sake of time this morning you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever and this idea of rescue from death by a substitute who's sacrificed for you is a central gospel idea it's central not only for the people here of the exodus to remember but for us too and when you come to the land that the lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. I wonder if you notice there that even in that being said, here is an assurance that they will actually get there. Because when you do, make sure that you teach your children this. There's a new tradition for them. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it 's the sacrifice of the Lord 's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. and there's two really significant things in those short verses there to see. Firstly, that children are treated as though they are part of the covenant people of God, and they 're taught like it. they 're every much a part of the people, so. Teach them, train them in this. But secondly, parents here have the primary responsibility for discipling and teaching their children the faith, don't they? Just as a bit earlier on, actually husbands, fathers have that responsibility to make sure in their home that actually they are observing the Lord's commands, they're observing this meal together, and here there's that responsibility for parents on Discipling their children, and then look at Israel's response. At last, part of verse twenty-seven, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And what's really amazing here is they're not worshiping God because God has done it, but because God has said He'll do it. He has not done this yet for them but they are already worshipping him, believing that he will. That's faith, isn't it? Faith isn't knowing everything all the time, but faith certainly is worshipping God because you believe that he's going to be good to his promise even before you see it fulfilled. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And here maybe is the high watermark for Israel's obedience. It's not always going to be this good, but at this moment here is a high point for them. It shows they're trusting in God to save them. A tradition is made. The people are to remind themselves of how God alone saves them from death. But this event and this meal that surrounds it don't only look backwards they also look forwards because Jesus came as a substitute arranged beginning of John's gospel John the Baptist on his first encounter of Jesus saw Jesus coming towards him and said behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world John, in his very first encounter, identifies Jesus as being like that Passover lamb that we've read about here. That he is the one sent to die so that we don't have to. Jesus came as a substitute arranged. But in Jesus' death, a penalty was paid too. Isaiah later prophesied, Isaiah 53, like a lamb led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus in his death on the cross is paying the penalty of sin, the sin of other people. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Removing the anger of God to restore the relationship. And look how John in his gospel records this, chapter twenty this is 33 and 36, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. These things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. John is quoting from Exodus 12, a little later in the chapter, verse 46, and these specific instructions on the Passover lamb. John wants his readers to know Jesus was the Passover lamb paying the penalty of sin for us. So that even down to the tiniest details, he could fulfill everything that meal looked forward to. Jesus came as a substitute arranged. He, in his death, paid a penalty for us. But thirdly, finally, through Jesus' sacrifice, a tradition was made. As they gather to observe the Passover together, Jesus' last supper, Matthew 26, he records Jesus saying, take, he's taking the unleavened bread there, take, eat, this is my body. And later he takes the cup, say this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus wants them and us to know that he fulfilled what the Passover tradition looked forward to by dying on the cross to rescue us from sin. So maybe for those of us who are not yet at a point of considering ourselves Christian or maybe we're just simply not sure, perhaps still exploring what it is we think and believe Well, this leaves us with a question to be answered. Will you trust God alone to forgive you a sin and to save you from death? Will you believe this? And even for Christians, it leaves us with a very similar question. Because will you, friends, continue to trust that God alone will save? Not just in a past event, but as a daily decision. It's something we have to wake up into every morning isn't it will we again decide to place our trust and confidence in christ jesus in our day-to-day lives in our studies in our work in our family and our relationships will we trust that god alone saves will you trust that god alone saves will you make your faith public will you stake your future on it Will you know him, save you from death to life? Let's pray and then we'll continue to worship through song together.